Hello and welcome to another edition of the BJ Psych Advances podcast. My name is Dr. Asta Sharma. I'm a trainee editor for the journal. And today we will be talking about boundary violations in therapy and the patient's experience of harm. This is a two-part series of an article that we have the absolute pleasure to be joined by the authors as the guests for today's podcast, Dr. John Hook who's a consultant medical psychotherapist in private practice, and he's formerly been the head of psychological therapies in Southampton and Guildford. He's a member of the Institute of Group Analysis UK and associate of the Clinic of Boundary Studies. We're also joined today by Dawn Deveroux, who's a psychoanalytic psychotherapist in private practice. Her PhD was on the topic of patients' experience in psychotherapy, and she served as the uh, Director of Public Support at the Clinic of Boundary Studies. So thank you so much for joining us today. It's a very fascinating topic that we're going to talk about. And with the ever-accumulating evidence of the effectiveness of psychological therapies in the treatment of wide range of diagnoses within mental health, it is also recognized and recommended by the National Clinical Guidelines as a treatment. And as this reach increases, there's also a growing interest in the potential for such therapies to cause unintended harm, which, as the paper suggests, is perhaps not as well researched as harm from other types of treatment. And I'm very curious to know what piqued your interest in this particular topic. Um, I think I first got interested in it when I was training. And I found that a lot of the experiences of my colleagues and myself in therapy wasn't quite as I expected. It wasn't, our therapies turned out not to be sort of textbook therapies. Quite a lot Mm. happened in the therapies that we didn't expect. And then some of my colleagues um, started talking about things that they felt were quite harmful in their therapies, or at least weren't helpful. And I myself experienced a similar thing. So I think that's when my interest first started. And then, of course, when I qualified as a therapist, I started to see patients who'd had former therapies, who certainly had been harmed by the experience. I think... uh... In terms of harm generally, I've always been interested in the quality of psychotherapy. And when I trained, which is now over 30 years ago, we were just at the beginning of research into psychoanalytic psychotherapy. So although there were some rather old papers around what the aims of psychoanalytic psychotherapy were, there was very little on the outcomes. And as the research interest began to grow, there was also, I noted, considerable resistance to measurement, in, in particularly in the psychoanalytic mm-hmm. psychotherapies. And in this paper, you set out to come up with the definition of this therapeutic harm and the categories around it. Well, I think we took as our starting point the Parry paper, both the editorial and the paper that yeah. so the editorial was about in the BJ Psych, which we quote, because that was really probably the first major study of harm in the psychotherapies in, in sure. the health service. Yeah. And as they point out, there had been very little research in the study, and what research they had done that was problematic because there were no accepted definitions of harm. So we take their definitions of harm as, as the starting point. Yes, and I think one of the things that we um, also try to bring out in the paper is that sometimes people feel harmed as a result of being in therapy, mm-hmm. even when there's no obvious boundary violation. And I think we need to take seriously the fact that people feel harmed. It's a subjective experience, but if they feel harmed, then obviously, you know, the therapy hasn't done what it 
should have done. And so we need to try and understand more about that experience. In the paper, you speak of a general tendency of this concept or a dichotomy in training of a deficit patient and a functioning therapist. You talk about the reluctance in general of engaging in the patient's perspective of such harms. Where do you think this reluctance comes from? Well, it's very tempting to say it's a sort of a, an arrogance on the part of the profession for the professional to see themselves and want to be seen by the patient as somebody who um, is competent and well-functioning and the patient to be someone who's in need of care, in need of psychological support. Whereas, in fact, I think it's much more helpful to see us all as being on a continuum and we all move on that continuum. And then, you know, you don't have the big disparity between, mm -hmm. as you say, the sort of well-functioning therapist and the patient who's not functioning at all. I think also psychotherapy is a very anxiety-driven process, both for the therapist and for the, and for the patient. And that's often not sufficiently acknowledged. And it's anxious because every time you, however experienced you are, you start with a new patient, you just don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You don't know what the interaction is going to be like. You don't know what the patient is mm -hmm. going to require of you. So you're dealing with something that's novel every time, even though you have met experience overall of being a therapist and of uh, human life, actually you, you know very little about what's going to happen with a patient. And therefore there's a defensive process against that sort of anxiety, which can lead you in this instance to sort of separate out yourself as the therapist, the expert, from the patient who is necessarily bringing something pathological. And it can be quite difficult, I think, to keep in mind the, the patient's competences and using those within the therapy mm -hmm. uh, rather than just focusing on the, uh, the pathological aspects that they're bringing to help. And let's talk about the concept of adverse idealizing transference. How does one recognize what is AIT or adverse idealizing transferences? And perhaps the second part of the question is then how do we avoid that mm. happening or deal with it? I think it's important to say that idealizing transferences are a very common thing in, um, in therapy and in fact in professional relationships generally and actually can be a very positive thing because they help the patient to engage in therapy. Uh, the problem actually arises if the idealization becomes unhelpful because it's become too overt. It's often difficult to recognise it because patients are often very embarrassed by the fact that they have these feelings for the therapist and so they'll often keep them hidden. And so really it's the therapist's job to keep in mind the mm. fact that, you know, because it is such a common thing, mm. this could be happening and taking little clues from the patient, like we give the example of the patient who becomes very interested in the therapist's life yes. and interests and the, the therapist in that instance didn't see it as part of the therapy. They just enjoyed the fact that the mm. patient was so interested in them, whereas in fact what they should have been saying is, what's this telling me about the patient? And perhaps reflecting that back to the patient. So it's keeping that in mind as you're going through the therapy mm. um, and looking for an, uh, instances of it. But I think also it's very important at the beginning of the therapy 
to talk about it with the patient and you know just discuss the fact that you know this is a very common thing in therapy because that in a sense gives the patient permission if it does happen to them to actually you know begin to discuss it i think it's also important to to see that it arises idealization within the therapy relationship arises out of perfectly normal processes partly to do with the fact that within therapy the therapist does not disclose personal details of their yes. life, so that from the patient's point of view, you're sitting with someone you really know nothing about mm. or very little about, and here they are giving you their full attention uh, and helping you understand things that you've never understood. Mm. You can, it's very easy to idealise someone like that, and uh, you can very easily as the patient think, oh, I wish I had this person as my you know, father, mother, husband, wife, because they're, they're the sort of person... Yes. You know, I would like to be with mm -hmm. any therapeutic engagement or any, any health engagement, really, whatever the field is, uh, is based on the premise that the therapist is there to help the patient and that their own needs are not part of the, uh, the contract. Uh, now, of course, they are because we all need to be admired and we all need to feel we're doing good work and we want to be rewarded for doing good work. Those are kind of basic human needs. Uh, but one at least tries to keep one's own needs out of the, out of the relationship. And our view really is that all harm and boundary violations in particular arise out of a shift in that contract. That the, the therapist is beginning to put their own needs above those of the patient. And I think that can happen in a, you know, it can be quite an insidious sort of process, happen very, very gradually without sometimes therapists not even realizing what they're doing. If I, as a therapist, for example, were to notice that something like this is happening, how would you suggest one deal with it or what does one do about it? Well, I think the, the important thing is not to be afraid of it. It's a message we want to put over mm -hmm. with this paper that, you know, it should be talked about just as a normal thing. You know, it's a very normal thing. It's something, you know, almost expected. And I think if you address it with the patient in that way, I think it it just normalises it and it takes the fear out of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way I would begin by addressing it, just to say that I've noticed this and ask the patient to talk about it. But I think if you've talked about it at the very beginning and said to the patient, this is something that happens very frequently, mm. they will often bring it up because, you know, they feel that it's fine to yeah. bring it up. Whereas if you haven't talked about mm. it, it can seem like something that's very difficult to bring up. And this is a controversial idea, particularly in psychoanalytic psychotherapy. Mm where the idea is, is basic premise is that you don't do anything to interfere with the transference. Yes. And therefore, pre-warning the patient mm. would be seen to be interfering with the transference. Yes, and it's and therefore something you, you definitely don't do. Uh, I'm not sure I would agree with that. <laughs> because I think part of the difficulty here is that is to see the therapy itself as something special. As opposed to the other hand, and this is part of the, the anxiety I was talking about, if we go back to, to Winnicott's idea that in psychoanalytic psychotherapy, the patient can become completely dependent on the therapist during the course of the therapy. And that, that's an enormous responsibility. How perhaps can we, as a group of professionals, take this forward? I think one of the first steps is actually to acknowledge harm and you know, for us all to talk about the fact 
that some harm is inevitable. Um, you know, psychotherapy is a very powerful process, and any powerful process is going to produce both good and experiences that are not so good. So I think we've got to, again, take the fear away from talking about it, and perhaps to get away from it being about the therapist doing something wrong. There's a very problematic term that's arisen over recent years in, in psychotherapy, which is re-traumatisation. And it's problematic for several reasons, but in this context it's problematic because it says that anything that causes pain to the patient is linked to the past, rather than, I think, the important point that you were making, is, that, is to see the context as the current relationship. And it's a relationship between two people that is actually equally brought about by both participants. It may evoke past mm. traumas in the patient, but actually it's a new traumatic process mm. that's occurring because it's about the patient coming to someone that they're going to learn to trust on the background of usually relationships where they haven't been able to trust people mm. they ought to have been able to trust. So that's the past bit. But the new bit is that they're placing their trust anew in someone. Mm. Uh, and one of the traumatic processes and harmful processes here is the loss of trust in, firstly, someone that you ought to be able to trust in the present, but also in the future. The serious harm is that patients find it very difficult then to seek further help for harm in psychotherapy because they've lost trust in the profession as a whole. Mm. It starts with this being part of the training. Mm. Uh, because it's just not addressed by and large. It certainly wasn't in, sure. in my day, and I'm not sure that it, that it is very much now either. Mm. And therefore we have to start there with the idea that yeah, any relationship can cause pain. That's natural. But when pain becomes either unbearable or chronic, then it becomes harmful. And we need to be aware that within our therapeutic relationships that's a possibility. So what, what do you think needs to happen next then? Where, where do we go from here? Well, as, as well as the training which we've already mentioned, one of the things which we know very little about is what are the factors in therapists that lead particular mm. therapists to A, fall into these traps in the first place and not know how to deal with them. So we don't know enough about the therapist factors and we need to be able to research that. And of course, people are often very reluctant to, mm. to research ourselves as the, as the professionals, but it's an, an essential element of what needs to happen next, particularly in the UK, where very little, if any, research has been done in this field. Most of the research we're talking about comes from America, mm. and whilst that's probably generalisable because we're all human beings, we need to look at specific factors that uh, apply in the UK. And I think we also need to look at how we regulate the health professions, because at the moment health regulators know very little about the process like everybody else and therefore deal with professionals who have caused harm or have committed sexual boundary violations in ways which I think don't do justice to the possibility that therapists or doctors can be, can be remediated. Thank you so much for joining us today and speaking about this very fascinating topic. Goodbye, until next time. <laughs>